Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Work in Progress podcast. I'm your host, Min. Got my co-host here, Alan. Heyo. And today, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. That was a great topic. <laughs> uh, so, imposter syndrome, and I guarantee you it, it affects a lot of people if not i i've never run into anyone who who doesn't suffer from it in, mm. in, in some way shape or form um and and for for those who don't know the verbiage it's just uh that feeling that you don't know anything even if you do uh you know just i think it's uh very much is a self-confidence thing um and I think it's something that we should talk about because like I said, it affects everyone. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's not just a tech thing either. It's uh, imposter syndrome is a very real thing for a lot of other professions as well. Uh, I think my theory at least on why it's a, a lot more prevalent or we hear about it a lot more in tech is just because the nature of it. And it always seems like there's something new and there's always somebody who knows it and then a lot of people who don't, right? <laughs> right, right. So, you know, start off, starting off with a personal story, like, you know, uh, as, as everyone probably knows by now, I've, I've been doing software engineering for eight years. Uh, I still can't say I'm, I'm a senior level engineer because of imposter syndrome. Like, I don't feel like I know as much as I do, right? Um, and that it, it, it shows up in, you know, interviews, it shows up in meetings, it shows up in one-on-ones. Like you ask me a question and I'm just, I immediately freeze up. I don't know if that's a, a result of, you know, anxiety or a result of humility or, or what have you, but, you know, it, it does it does affect my, my ability to just go in and, and confidently do whatever I need to do. Um, I don't, I don't know how it is for how it shows up for a manager. Uh, (laughs) maybe Min, you could, you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as a manager, imposter syndrome has got a couple of ugly, um, I don't know. I guess it shows up in certain ways that that it wouldn't in in like individual contribution. Um, one way there is that when you're trying to lead a team and you are constantly uh, asking for for feedback from everybody, every everybody involved, and it seems like you're not able to to make any kinds of decisions. Um, that is really, really harming to a team because a lot of times, you know, they're looking to you for some kind of semblance of confidence, some sort of like anchor, right? right. And if you can't be confident in that way, uh, it's sort of like, if my lead's not confident, then why, like, how can I possibly be confident, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like, uh, a couple of ways that it shows up there is like, yeah, just, just like seemingly needing everybody's input for every little thing. And, and not really being able to to uh, take a stand, make a make a snap judgment, those kinds of situations. Um, I think even even worse is when your team isn't even in the room and you're exhibiting those kinds of signs. 
when a leader is asking, okay, there's this new objective that we need to get and we need to get people working on, we need to accomplish by some time frame, and you as a leader are not able to convey confidence in your own team, that's incredibly damaging, right? Mm -hmm. Because now the entire room doesn't know is this the team that's not working out well? Is it an individual on the team or is it the leader? So a, you know, imposter syndrome in a lot of ways as a leader can really affect a lot of other people's lives uh, and, and their, their job performance, you know. Um, just, to, just to add another little element to that, sometimes your manager will believe you to be like the best kind of engineer and they believe you deserve a promotion. But sometimes if upper leadership doesn't fall into the same um, uh, mindset or they don't believe the same thing, you might not get that promotion, right? Because it has to kind of go all the way up the chain. That's kind of one of those examples where it's like if your leader lacks a lot of confidence or lacks a lot of, um, or has, you know, exhibits like imposter syndrome at the worst times possible, it could actually affect your ability to get promoted, even if your manager believes you to be the greatest engineer on the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and one thing I want to want to ask you in your experience is, is how do you determine the difference between a, a leader who's, who's suffering from imposter syndrome, who can't make confident calls, uh, you know, snap judgments, uh, as you said, versus uh, a leader who's more more humble. Is that the right word? Where his his or her uh, leading style is sort of empowering their team to make the decisions for the team, as as opposed to you know getting input and and making a decision based off that input. You know, I I think I think that that's a great I think that that's a great question. And for me, a lot of it comes down to very, very nuanced language and body language, particularly as you're communicating. Um, I'll give you an example, though. Like, let's say you were my boss and you asked me if my team would be able to ship this new feature by next month. There's two ways that I could answer that. One is that, like, uh, I'm sorry, I really don't know. Uh, I, you know, I'm not in the code. I don't really know all this. Like, I really need to consult my team first. That's... Uh, that's kind of an element of like, there's an element of like lack of confidence there, right? Whereas if I were to say, you know, I believe that my team is fully capable of that, but being that it's a very near deadline, I want to make sure that they're on board first with anything that I commit to, mm -hmm. right? And right. one one is kind of saying, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm not going to make a decision without my team's input. And the other is saying, I can't make a decision without uh, without my team, without so, everybody. So, so let, let me make sure I'm hearing you correctly. The difference is being able to recognize that while you may not have the information to make that call, you are more than willing to say you can't commit to something uh, without input. Yeah, right. right? Like, like you, you, you are conveying that like I refuse to commit to it without having brought in uh, my people, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's like a much better way of being able to communicate the effectively the same thing, right? Like, no, right. I'm not gonna commit to it until I, I talk with my team. Like that's... <laughs> right, so, so it really does boil down to, to how the, the person 
communicates and and whether or not they can and i i think this goes back to, to how you were speaking of confidently you know saying no or or just just conveying that they they won't make a decision versus they can't right right um right that's that's a really really fine nuance that i i hadn't considered before that's awesome so <laughs> so so you know having been in a manager how how do you help someone who does struggle with imposter syndrome that that's so honestly that's probably one of the hardest things to coach people through i don't know like you ask me a lot of situations i would say oh that's got to be one of the hardest things like working with people is fundamentally hard right because like mm -hmm. challenging somebody to to actually see through that is is isn't easy and everybody's different everybody's at a different place right for some people, imposter syndrome might be a function uh, or a large piece of what contributes to it is their environment, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is external, and sometimes it's just because you have an, uh, an engineer who's faster on the draw in, in meetings, right? That can... I, I've seen excellent engineers who start to adopt a bit more of that, um, that imposter syndrome because they have a peer who's just always quick on the draw. They're not right, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're they're always first to speak up, you know? And so it trains them, depending on the kind of personality, it sort of trains them to be like, oh, such and such is going to answer first always, right. no matter what. And it kind of takes the uh, the responsibility off of them to, to do that, right? Right. So that can lead to it. Um, uh, like, like we mentioned, confidence is a huge piece of that. Some people are not used to making decisions. This is something mm -hmm. that I, I found was incredibly surprising, honestly. I, I always thought like, okay, if you tell people to make decisions, they will. But after I, I hired a, a couple of people that came from much bigger companies, much more um, like just giant companies, you know, thousands mm -hmm. of people. And you're, you're, you're like one of a million cogs, right? <laughs> right, right. I hired a couple of those individuals and it took time to actually coach them to make decisions. I had to tell them explicitly, like, I'm giving you information and leeway because I expect you to make decisions out of this and to drive decision-making, you mm -hmm. know? And that's mm -hmm. very, very new for a lot of people. There, A lot of people are used to being just um, just that, you know, they, they execute. And right. if you ask them to execute the next, ob uh, the next task, they'll do that, but when you ask them like, what task should we do next? That's not something that they're ever familiar with, you know? Right, right. Yeah, like I, in in my experience, and I'm, I'm completely guilty of this too, is I often defer to whoever is my team lead, right? Like in, in any meetings that require sort of any forward planning, I usually never speak up because Either I don't believe I'm operating under the same information that my team lead might have or that other people might have, or or that I'm in a mindset of I'm just collecting data. But at, at some point, I, and I think this is sort of what you grow into to, to learning, is that at some point, uh, you need to assume that you are op operating under, under the, under a, a, a as much data as you can gather, right? Like you yeah. can't keep thinking that you're gathering data forever. 
Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it becomes very clear too uh, when, when I stepped into a team lead position way back when that you do have to start making decisions for better or worse, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, the business is just constantly moving forward. You can't yeah. just pause and say, let's gather all the information that we can. And, you know, one one quality of that that I love engineers um, when they have it, I, I love it. It's it's that they are so good at being able to suss out what information is relevant and what is not. And it's not to say like product or, or business analysts or other types of people that you work with aren't able to do that. It's just I think naturally by virtue of the job that engineers do, they're they're like excellent at it, you know, and mm-hmm. most people are excellent at it. Um, that is so useful because it's like you said, you can be data gathering for forever, but when you find a really confident engineer who is making a lot of those decisions, they are very fast to say, yes, what is, what is, what are you, what do you have to say? No, that's not relevant. Yes, that is relevant. And then here's how it might actually affect something or anything, if anything. Right. 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 And so like having engineers who actually make those decisions within the process of planning work, deciding work and all of that. It's amazing. It's amazing. The difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as an engineer, I've, I've found it's extremely useful in, in times when no one is, is giving feedback (laughs) to, to ask even the stupid questions, like (laughs) say you're, you're building a new feature out and you know, the, the basic premise of, of, the features you know laid out in a story somewhere and you're mm-hmm. all reviewing it um when you're deliberating on how to implement it and no one's giving feedback i found it useful that i could just come in and say well what if what if we i don't know implemented it this way and it could be yeah. like the completely wrong solution yeah and maybe that's on purpose but it does spur someone to step in and say i don't think that's the right way to do it Mm-hmm. especially knowing that it's the complete incorrect way to do something. Right. You know? And, and, and I think as a leader, you have to put yourself in those positions where you are the one that's going to throw out a stupid idea just to build someone else's confidence and saying yeah. that's the wrong way to do it. Right. Um, so no, that's, that's, I think that's important for, for anyone who's, you know, in, yeah. in any industry really is, making making that space for another person to 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 speak up yeah even if it even if it's at your expense <laughs> yeah you know like because i mean at the end of the day like honestly your your own uh your own ego your own whatever like it doesn't really matter you know it doesn't mm-hmm. like i don't put too much stake in my own like reputation or whatever uh in fact i prefer my team to just look at me see me as just like another another person on the team another engineer on the team you know um, and, and I, I, I like that more just because there, I, I want people to interact with me without any like pretenses and, and weirdness, awkwardness around like, oh, he's my, he's my lead, he's my manager or whatever. Um, I, I, I like it when people can just look at me as like a dude, <laughs> just, just a dude. Yeah. That, that random guy over there. Who's that random guy over my there. meetings. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, there was one thing that you you touched on that I really really like. You know, I I think the so so to to backtrack a little bit. Anytime somebody talks about imposter syndrome, I feel like 
it's a very near and dear subject for a lot of people. And there's almost sort of like an underpinning desire for whoever's talking about it to be like, this is the antidote, you know, mm -hmm. this is how you, you free yourself from imposter syndrome forever done, done and dusted, never have to think about it again. Right. Mm -hmm. The reality is like it, that's, that's not really how it works, you know? Nope. And you, you, you get better at managing it. You get better at fighting it and you get better at it, not controlling your day to day, but mm -hmm. it never really truly goes away forever, you know? Yep. Yep. And I, I think one of the biggest advices, biggest pieces of advice I can give to anyone else that struggles with it is, is to reframe it, right? Like there's an old, old adage saying, never be the smartest person in the room. Uh, <laughs> if, if you find that you are the smartest person in the room, it's time for you to go. Yeah. Right? Um, and there, there's, the flip side to that of, well, if I'm never the smartest person in the room, then I'm, I'm not the best. I'm not the best equipped to do whatever. But when you reframe it as, as you know, you're learning from everyone around you and that's something that's ideally, hopefully, uh, something that never stops. Right. And part of your growth and your journey is, understanding that you know you're you're not going to be the best you're you're not going to know everything at at every single point in time when mm -hmm. everyone asks you questions you're not going to know i like where you're going with that because the, the the reality is yeah you know you're not always going to be the the smartest person in the room i i like thinking about it as like building a jigsaw puzzle with a team right and it's it's like a one of those like 20,000 piece jigsaw puzzles are you the fastest person on the team? It kind of doesn't matter, right? You've got 20,000 pieces to assemble. So mm -hmm. even if some people are really good at piecing together the, the, the skyline or the middle of it or that weird looking elephant in the corner, whatever it is, even if you've, you're really good at that and not so good at everything else, everyone has something to contribute to that, right? There, mm -hmm. There's enough work that everyone, regardless of, of you know, your own personal skill level, you can add something to that, right? Yep. And I think like um, that's that's where a lot of my uh, where I try to coach people with imposter syndrome is that they have to realize it's not about finding the best tool, the the single best tool, and then making that uh, the the only tool you use to build a house, right? Right. Like that's that's just literally impossible. <laughs> right. right. And so instead, you everyone has something to contribute. And yes, sure, the hammer might not be used nearly as much as the saw or whatever, but it, it doesn't matter, right? Right, it doesn't mm. matter. Everyone has something to contribute. There is value. And sometimes it really does take having a neutral third party sit there and tell them that, you know? Right, right, right. So so then let me let me ask you this, a little, little pivot here. Yeah. Um, if you find yourself in a situation where you recognize that you are struggling with your confidence, struggling with, you know, understanding where you fit within an organization and you don't necessarily have the space to build that confidence, what, what can you do just within, within your own control to, you know, develop confidence in yourself? Like, I know some people will say, go out and do a project outside of work, right? 
like but but sometimes maybe that's not not necessarily something you want to do like you want to keep like say coding to to work right you don't want to go yeah. coding outside of work but yeah. what else can you do yeah you know this is this is really really tricky um i I, I like to kind of like break things down and try to think, okay, can we solve a slightly smaller problem within the, the larger and see if that kind of contributes to the overall solution? Um, I, I, would, I would sort of start by thinking, okay, what are you actually trying to combat? Is it your, your imposter syndrome as it relates to code specifically? Like, you know, you, you just feel like you have all of those like very anxious feelings. Um, when it comes to like pull, submitting pull requests or, or stuff like that, right? Or is it when you're actually coding itself yourself? Or or is it in like a team setting where you're being asked for input and you're not really willing to speak up? So you, you kind of have to suss it out there first. Um, you know, fun, fun thing. Uh, I realized this. Uh, so my girlfriend wears a little like Fitbit type uh, sports watch and the, the little watch will actually keep uh, an eye on her stress levels, right? So if you have any of those, that's an excellent way to kind of have a, have a tool actually tell you what your, <laughs> what your high stress, high anxiety uh, situations are, right? You can just pop open that graph and you can literally see, oh yeah, that's when I had a meeting. That's, that's when I was coding. <laughs> oh man. Um, so use that and kind of start start with that first because you know depending on on what kind of activity it is you're gonna have to do different things to to address that i would say if your comfort is around like actual coding itself one thing that you can kind of do just to practice is reframing how you're submitting your code don't think about it as complete and in fact i i did this for the longest time um, when I when I started, every pull request I ever opened always started with work in progress. With hey. WIP. <laughs> because like at some point I knew I was expected to deliver really, really quickly. But I, I felt like I was surrounded by like sharks, killers, like, you know, uh, rock star developers. And they seem to like bang out code and it compiles first time and it makes money like the first time it runs. Whereas me, I'm like, oh, fuck, there's a little null pointer over there. There's like a little this, that, and, you know? You missed a test. Yeah, I missed a test. Oh, <laughs> man. Um, that happened to me all the time. And so one of the first things that I did just within fully in, in my own control was I, I just told my lead, I was like, hey, I'm going to start submitting like work in progress type um, pull requests. And mm. like, I know it's not done, but I just want to know if I'm headed in the right direction. That's literally it. And he right. was like, Oh yeah, absolutely perfect. In fact, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And no. so yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's that's actually a lot more common these days. Um, I mean, even even GitHub here has a draft pull request mm -hmm. uh, feature built in. Um, I think that's awesome because you know, I can I can echo that sentiment uh, with, you know, if if you're working on something relatively complex, right? Mm -hmm. You would probably start off with you know, bringing in people to talk about it first and then start implementing it. And then yeah. once you're at some, some level of, you know, functionality, you then put that, that work in progress PR out there and start getting feedback because the sooner you get feedback, 
the sooner you can pivot or the the sooner you can feel start feeling good about the the route you took on your implementation yeah um and along those the same veins with pull requests one thing that i usually do with you know new companies uh starting new companies while i'm in the process of building business context understanding the code base is i look at PRs, I may not contribute to them immediately, but I look at the comments being made by other people mm. because that gives you a sense of what, what sort of things you should be looking for and what sort of things that the, the people around you are focusing on. Right. And once, you know, once you start feeling confident or not confident, you can just start nitpicking, like just start, <laughs> start with a very, very small bits and pieces here, even if it's like a, a typo in a variable name. Um, and once you start getting comfortable with submitting, you know, pull request comments and, mm. and those types of things and getting feedback on those comments, you start sort of getting into this rhythm where you then start uh, providing more larger, excuse me, larger uh, sets of feedback that, that spans more than just syntax errors. It yeah. starts going into implementation details, starts getting into design. And I think that's a slow progression. And I don't think that, you know, that, that ever changes I, 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 uh, in the sense that I find that that's sort of the process that I've fallen into no matter which company I end up starting at. Yeah, I think that that's, that's an excellent way to kind of just slowly work your way up to providing more complicated feedback. And um, I think that that's, uh, it, it's a great way to slowly familiarize yourself with the feedback process, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, just more broadly speaking, it's it's kind of about that. I, I've been working with a lot of students lately and uh, a comment that I got from, from hiring companies was that their students, while, are, while the students are like technically capable and everything, there's an area that, that they tend to need coaching in and that's, uh, that's giving and accepting feedback, you know? I think like th that is the sort of the other side of the coin as I see it with with imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. If you have imposter syndrome or you're experiencing it particularly heavily, receiving feedback's not going to go well either, right? Right. And maybe you might not you might not even feel comfortable giving feedback um, because of that. And so like I, I think the two definitely go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I guess if I were to just uh, uh, offer something there on, on the, on the side of feedback, um, take, take yourself out of it, you know, take yourself out of the feedback. Uh, I think there's a tendency for, for humans when we hear the word feedback, our defenses raise, right? Our lizard yep. brain kicks in and we, we go fight or flight. Defensive you know? at that point. Yeah. See if, as people offer feedback and things like that, I find that it's very helpful to just remove your own sense of identity out of that situation. You know, remove your own sense of identity out of that. And all that really remains is, uh, is, is basically just what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, a criticism of the work, not of your character. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause like I, I have bad days all the time, right? I wake up not feeling great. I'm not going to, I'm going to do something and it's not going to be as great as it could be. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, to, to speak to the other end of that, giving feedback is equally as an important skill to have too, right? Like you don't want to sound in, in intentions be damned. You don't want to sound like you're criticizing a person's character. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're, you're not here to tear someone down. You're, you're here to help them grow. And right. I think, you know, going back to, uh, you know, your, your, your wording of uh, nuance earlier is there, there is a level of communication in there that really separates you from, you know, criticizing someone's someone versus their work. <laughs> um, right. Right. I mean, it's the difference between saying like, wow, like, like, you know, that's a very messy PR. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that that can, that that's very vague. Right. Mm-hmm. And vagueness is usually what leads, to, uh, what opens the door, and le- uh, opens the door, leaves windows open for people to to misinterpret that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, manager training, they they actually tell us, you know, specificity. If mm-hmm. you can be very very specific, not vague about any any kind of feedback that you give people, you have a much higher chance of that actually coming across as feedback as advice coaching advice than Mm -hmm. just flat statements you know oh that that pr is messy bad (laughs) yep 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 i will echo those sentiments as well uh you know i I keep coming back to the the radical candor book by kim scott Mm -hmm. and a, a big part of that mentality is being very very clear in your wording um only if if not to just communicate what's wrong like yeah. Like, like you said, just saying, uh, this person is, does bad, bad pull requests. Like that's yeah. extremely vague that that can be taken as a personal attack. Right. Now, if you said, uh, the, this, their, their PRs lack documentation, that's more, go. more specific. And right. that tells you exactly what needs to be worked on. Hey, um, Hey Bill, you submitted a PR and it's got 50 different class files in it. That makes it really hard for me to review everything because I can't tell what's important. Mm-hmm. There's a there's mm-hmm. a nice little cheat sheet for that if uh, for folks who are curious. Uh, SBI situation behavior impact. So if you ever want to uh, think about giving feedback, uh, think about those three things. What's the situation? So that that takes care of an element of specificity there, where you're you're identifying a specific instance. Uh, the behavior, what literally happened. Stick to facts. <laughs> And then impact. Impact is usually like your your appeal to the person, right? Like why mm-hmm. is this why is this important? And what you'll find is actually unless you're working with a bunch of sociopaths, it tends to pe it tends to be that people pick up on that, you know? They're mm-hmm. like, Oh wow, I actually made your life harder. I don't want that. And they right. will they will understand what to do from right. that. Right, right, right. And and I think part of it too is as as they also review other people's prs they'll realize the same mistakes that they made and then they can pass yeah. on that feedback to in in a, a constructive way and so it's it's a it's a never-ending cycle really <laughs> yeah it is it is and and sometimes I, I i know honestly i've i've coached a lot of people through this i know that sometimes it feels incredibly unfair that you have to be the one to sort of break the cycle the negative cycle you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, it feels like you're the only one 
who feels this way within a, a peer group. It feels like you're the only one that's going to have to step out and go beyond your comfort zone and, you know, actually give good feedback and, mm -hmm. and really be the first one to be uncomfortable. I know mm -hmm. that that's a very common feeling. Know that in most situations, people really do respond well to that. And even if, even if it feels awkward, usually there's at least one other person in the room that will pick up on it, that will appreciate that. And then it, it won't be too long. Like you're not going to be the only, you're not going to be the feel the only one feeling awkward for a, uh, an extended amount of time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And, and you, you mentioned, uh, the phrase you're, you're not probably not the only one in the room. Uh, that reminds me to like going into the PR process and providing feedback, even if you have to ask really stupid questions on understanding why something is done the way it is. Uh, if you go into that with the mindset of, if I have this question, odds are there might be someone else asking this question or, yeah. or want to ask this question, but they're afraid to. Yeah. And so just even stepping in and asking that small question builds the space for them to step in next time when they have a question. And ultimately it serves your team to do so, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. And you know, I, 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 I know we've talked a lot, uh, during this episode about, you know, being the person with imposter syndrome, I kind of want to take a moment and talk a little bit about, you know, being on the flip side of that, being somebody who is more senior and, and sort of what you can do to make space, um, just as you said, you know, mm -hmm. making space for your peers. Um, like, I, I, I love that. Like, being, being the person who is going to, you know, like, okay, yeah, you might be asking what you feel is a silly question or whatever, but I guarantee you, if you as the senior is asking a silly question, no one thinks less of you for that. Mm. Everyone still will think you are the most senior engineer. And you taking something small like that and just asking a question, it can open the doors for a lot of people on the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, as a recipient of some some quality leaders in my career, uh, one thing that I've I've experienced recently is going into meetings. My my lead would give me a list of the questions that he's hoping to get answered. Right. Uh, I I recently learned that that is in an effort to help not only myself but the the other my other team members speak up as well. Right. Like we might we might feel uncomfortable. We might not know what to ask, but having his list of questions gave us uh, a stepping stone because, you know, in, in some cases he may not ask them. And, you know, having been in so many meetings with him, he doesn't ask all of those questions, but those are very relevant questions that my assumption is he may already know, but he wants me to speak up. Right. Yeah. Uh, especially knowing that you might get called on to <laughs> like, what's your opinion on this? Or right. do you have any questions? Like this gives you an in. Yeah. Um, don't take those moments lightly. Uh, it, it does help build confidence in, 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 in stepping up and asking questions in larger meetings. Yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And, you know, I, there, there's kind of an underpinning theme to all of this. Like, 
a lot of this really only works if uh, uh, I'm just going to be full of like one-liners today. Uh, it only really works if everybody is assuming positive intent, you know? Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I feel like an element of imposter syndrome and lack of confidence and a lot of it sometimes tends to do with your perception of your team and the people around you, you know? Um, I had heard the phrase assume positive intent like plenty of times in my career, but I didn't really understand how to put that into practice until mm -hmm. I was a lead, you know? Right. And it, it, it was the difference between me always being the one to react very negatively to any kind of news, right? Like, oh, here we go again, roadmaps changing. Oh, here we go again. Like, of course, scope is changing, right? That ends up with you being, oh, it's just men complaining again. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It took a lot of time in for me to kind of get my head out of that and assume that, you know, like these product people, they're good people. They're good friends. I've had beers with a lot of, of product people. They're very hardworking, quite honestly, way more hardworking than I am. And they're not out to make your life hard, mm -hmm. you know? Or, mm -hmm. or honestly, it extends upwards all the way up to the to the sea levels as well, right? Like right. The, these are these are human beings at some point, uh, or at uh, at some point they were in your shoes. These are human beings, and just because they're at uh, you know different levels, different places in the company, that doesn't mean that they they ceased to be that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you're working as part of a team, whether it's your immediate team or your, your company, you're all striving to help, to help the company succeed, right? Like yeah. everyone's got a shared goal at some, some level. Yeah. Um, and you know, what you said reminds me of an, another phrase that you'll hear also is, uh, you'll be working, uh, in an egoless environment. Mm hmm I think that that sort of echoes a lot of that mentality of, you know, no one's here to judge you. No one's here to, to put you down. It's just, yeah. everyone's here to work towards the same thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, no one gets paid to do that. You know, you get paid here to advance the mission. And, uh, and while it can feel like there's, you know, a lot of times that are uncomfortable or, uh, forces you to kind of grapple with some of the things that you're not very good with it it's not bad and no one is there to put you down because of that instead they're actually there because they want to see you grow beyond that you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna take a step back here and touch touch back upon feedback and uh what, what feedback means yeah um you had mentioned that you know usually when when humans hear the word feedback they tend to to go into a, a sort of a defensive posture yeah. mentally um feedback isn't always bad uh sometimes it does mean praise right like yes praise is just as equally as important as criticism and you know i think a lot of uh what imposter syndrome is 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 searching for validation that what you're doing is right Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, in, in my experience with pull requests with, with one-on-ones, it's, it's really hard to get that validation because the, the point of pull requests is to get criticism on, you know, what could be changed, what, <laughs> what could be redesigned. It's not necessarily bad, but because we tend to 
draw ourselves towards negative negativity. Like we don't, we don't really accentuate the positives of what, what you're working on. Right. Like I can't tell you how many times I've, I've not seen, this is a great PR. Right. Right. right? But, but that's not to say that, you know, every PR is, you know, good. Yeah. But you know, same, same goes the other direction. Not, not everything's bad. Right. Yeah. Not everything is bad. And I think like, um, to be honest, that kind of ties into like being the senior most engineer and what like things that you can do to make space that just dropping small little bits of praise like that in a PR, like, you know, uh, even if, even if like 90% of the PR had issues and, and there was a lot that you needed to uh, provide feedback on negative feedback, criticism, whatever you want to call it. Even if there was that little 10%, you, you can, you can spare somebody from completely feeling like they failed to instead, okay, I did get something out of this and I just have, have to do that level of quality everywhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. You can say something like, I really liked, I really liked how you organized that piece. That's a really good pattern that you applied right there. I think it's going to do us a lot of good, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a, you know, speaking a little bit to the psychology of things, I think there's a study somewhere out there uh, that, you know, shows that humans tend to hold on to uh, a lot of negativity, uh, negative feedback, um, and it takes, I think, four, I, I want to say four, don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> it, it takes at least four positive comments to, to overcome one negative comment, right? Wow. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And so you think about, you know, pull requests, you think about one-on-ones, you, you, you hear a lot of growth feedback. Uh, and, and not all of it is, you know, validating or positive. But it's something that we as as engineers and even even as people should consider, you know, um, yeah. because there's there's already enough negativity in the world. Let's let's try to let's try to to increase and highlight the positives, too. Yeah. And, you know, and with that, like, I'll, I'll just add one more thing. Um, practice practice receiving positive feedback. This is this is something that, you know, I never really spent a lot of time thinking about. But I, I realized for myself and for a lot of other people, it's very, very uncomfortable, deeply uncomfortable to hear praise for mm-hmm. yourself. And part of that does contribute to imposter syndrome. If you can't look yourself in the mirror and say, good job, without cringing a little, that's going to lead a little bit to, that's going to contribute to imposter syndrome, you know? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't do that, if you can't honestly hear it and take it and, and internalize it, then you're never going to see all the positive feedback that you do get in your day-to-day that's far more hectic, right? Mm-hmm. And when all you see is the negatives and none of the positives, it's exactly as you're saying. So with that, TLDR, every morning you get up, look in the mirror and tell yourself you're a rock star, regardless of what you're doing. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I can endorse that. <laughs> awesome. Um, That's our show for today, guys. Everyone, thank you for listening. Hey, hey, who does our, our intro music? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout outs to uh, Harris Heller Stream Beats. If you like the intro music or the our intro or outro, uh, you can get all of that for free from Stream Beats. Harris Heller, he's an excellent YouTube creator. Go check him out. 
Awesome. Everyone, don't forget to tip your weight staff. <laughs> <laughs>